The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. You may recall this morning we were uh, talking about the problem of evil in the world. Now, I won't rehash the whole sermon. Most of you were here. Let me just say this much, that that's, that is a philosophical problem uh, for Christianity, allegedly for Christianity, a philosophical problem raised by the atheist in an effort to argue that God does not exist. The idea being, and this is kind of oversimplifying it, but if, if God exists and he is omnipotent, that is all-powerful, he is omniscient, that is all-knowing, omnibenevolent, that is all-good, then why does evil also exist? Okay. Now, I told you this morning, and I repeat it today, that tonight, that um, my purpose here is not to preach philosophy to you. <laughs> I'm going to preach uh, to you from the Word of God. But in one sense, all religion uh, has a philosophical aspect to it, I suppose. Um, I mentioned C.S. Lewis this morning. C.S. Lewis was a great philosopher. He was a Christian theologian and philosopher and wrote a very wonderful uh, apologetic on behalf of Christianity, uh, uh, simply defending the faith. Uh, now, <clears throat> this morning, we began to look at the fact that there are two types of evil in the world, and that's, again, really an oversimplification, but for purposes, I think you'll understand for purposes of this message, let's just, we'll just agree that there's two types of evil in the world. There's there's moral evil, which we call sin, and then there's natural evil, which, which are the calamities and tragedies that happen out in the world. Uh, this hurricane this weekend would be considered natural evil, evil from the natural world. And the question is, first of all, what is the origin of evil? The origin of these evils, okay, is it God? And the answer is an emphatic no, it is not God. We looked at that this morning. In the creation, in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we read, especially in Genesis chapter 1, that God created the heavens and the earth, and each day of creation, he, he punctuated it with the statement, it was good. God saw that it was good. That word good, and we're not going back through it tonight, but sometime go to Strong's Concordance and read what the Hebrew word tov, which is the word used here for good, read what it, how it really uh, all the definitions of it, it's amazing, it's, it really is. You know, it's every kind of good you can think about. And then at the end of the sixth day, after he had created man, he said it is very good. It is tov ma'od in the Hebrew. And that simply means an even greater, you know, a vehement good. It's, it's not just, ah, it's okay, it's good. It was absolutely from the bottom of the heart good, uh, like like Mama's Aunt Kitty Pie. It was good. You know, it was really good. And so uh, the idea being here that God created everything good. And we had gotten to the point where we had talked about the harmony that existed in that original creation. And we had gotten down to the point where we realized that God had created even Adam good. And, and one thing we need to understand about Adam 
We, we often are accused, as we said this morning, we're accused of being uh, opposed to free will. And we certainly don't believe in free will when it comes to eternal things, when it comes to us exercising our free will uh, in the sense of deciding to go to heaven or not. Okay? We don't believe that. You know the reason? We, it's, but it's not because we don't believe in free will. <laughs> we believe that man is absolutely free to act in accord with his nature. But he's bound by that nature. Martin Luther wrote a, a, a wonderful little treatise way back in the 1500s called The Bondage of the Will, which is a good one to read sometime. The will is bound by its nature. In the spiritual realm, we are bound by our nature, okay? And so um, uh, in, in, the sense, in this sense, we can say that Adam was the only human being who ever exercised, or possessed rather, uh, true freedom of the will. He had the ability to choose not to violate the commandments of God. And of course, you know how that turned out. By the way, if Adam is our perfect representative, which he was, he was the best, he was the best man there could be apart from the man God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he was our best representative, you know, you think God knows what he's doing? God knew who the, he didn't pick uh, the worst representative, he picked the best representative. You know, Adam's DNA was, you might say, it was perfect, I believe, Brother Buddy. It was just, there wasn't any problems in his DNA. There weren't any cancer genes or Parkinson's genes or diabetes genes in his DNA. <laughs> he was perfect, and God chose the perfect representative for humankind, and even he messed it up. Even he messed it up. What does that say about you and me who are Adam multiplied? But be that as it may, we, we had gotten to the point where we saw what God created. And God did not create evil. God did not cause evil to come into this world. He created this world in, in, a, in, in a state that he could say it was very good. So what about the origin of evil? Tonight I want to look at that. And it's found in the third chapter of the book of Genesis. The origin of evil in this world, both kinds, moral, evil, and natural evil. Any kind of evil you can think about, any kind of, uh, of negative thing about this world you can think about, you'll find it beginning in Genesis chapter 3. And there are two characters, really three, but two main characters in Genesis chapter 3 that are the cause of evil coming into the world. It's the serpent also known as Satan or the devil. And no, it's not you ladies, <laughs> okay? Eve played a part, but Eve was not the vehicle through which sin entered this world. I, I don't, I'm not going to try to prove that to you tonight. If you question that, see me later and we'll talk about it, but you'll find it many places in the Word of God, and we'll see some of them a little bit later on, where that the, the, the vehicle by which sin entered this world was Adam. The man. You know, you know the, the, the woman was deceived. She, she, she really thought she was doing right. She really did. If that's, as I understand the Bible, that's what being deceived means. She thought, oh, this is a good thing. Adam, we're told, was not deceived. He knew what he was doing. God had delivered the commandment directly to him. So Satan and Adam are the two primary characters in Genesis chapter 3, 
where we read about the origin of evil. So let's, let's talk about the devil just for a minute. I preached not too long ago about the devil, but we might rehash it just a little bit. First of all, you need to understand that God did not create the devil as the devil, okay? So wait a minute, what are you saying? He created the devil, didn't he? Well, he created a being which ultimately became the devil. But he did not create that being as the devil. Remember, all that God created was good. Everything God created in the beginning was very good. He had, he had made something. There was no, you know, 1 John over here. Uh, well, I, we, you don't have to turn there. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, uh, I believe I can quote it fine. He says, in him was light and in him there was no darkness at all. You know, that tells us something about the nature of God. If God were to create evil, if he were to make evil in the sense that we're talking about here, if he were the origin of evil, and yes, I know there's a verse, we're going to deal with it in a little bit, but if he is the creator of evil, then that would mean there's some darkness in God. God is not the creator of the evil that we're talking about here tonight. Now, there's several verses that... Uh, I, I'm just going to give these to you because I don't want to spend too much time on them because there's actually a dispute by some among, um, some, uh, among some theologians about whether, uh, whether these apply to uh, Satan or not or whether they're just applying directly in one case to the king of Babylon and another to the king of Tyre. I personally believe there, there are a, a two, there's two applications. In Isaiah chapter 14 and verses 12 through 13, you can look them up sometime, in Ezekiel chapter 28 and verses 11 through 19, you read about uh, an entity. Uh, and one, the first one is identified as the king of Babylon. The second is identified as the king of Tyre. And these are two entities that, uh, that are lifted up with pride, tried to ascend up into the heavens and be more than they were, supposed, they were created to be. In other words, they tried to dethrone God. And they were cast from heaven. Now, I, as I said, I believe it's talking about the king of Babylon and the king of Tyre. But if you remember, our warfare is against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. Behind every throne of man, especially behind a, a wicked throne somewhere, there's a spiritually wicked throne. Behind him, a demonic presence, if you will, that is the, is, is the real power behind the throne. I believe that's what he's talking about here. But be that as it may, uh, Jesus himself in Luke chapter 10 and verse 18 tells something to the disciples that I think is kind of funny. They came back. He had sent them out two by two to go out and uh, preach the gospel and to cast out demons. And they did all these great things. And they came back to him and said, Lord, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, of course. They, they, but, but even the demons were subject to us. We got to cast out demons and heal folks and all these great things we were doing. And, you know, it's like Jesus kind of chuckled and said, <laughs> I saw Satan like lightning fall from heaven. <laughs> you know, in other words, you think that's something. Man, look what I, I saw something even greater than that. Now, I believe he was really talking about seeing Satan cast down when he sinned. We're told sometime, you, again, you can turn to 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, and we're told that God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell. So apparently there was some kind of rebellion in heaven. Now, you say, so what exactly is the origin of Satan? Well, 
I don't exactly know because <laughs> the Bible doesn't exactly tell us, okay? But that gives us a hint there of something that occurred. There was a, there, and, and that Satan, and, and especially in Ezekiel, it tells us he was some kind of a ruling angel, some kind of a angel with some authority like Gabriel or Michael. They were angels with authority. They weren't just the legions of angels. They were the leaders of the legions of angels. Uh, uh, Lucifer, Satan, had some kind of authority pertaining to earth and through pride, he lost his place, and he was cast down to hell. He was cast out of heaven. Now, what I, my, what's your point, preacher? Your, my point is, is that God did not create the devil as the devil. Through pride, he was lifted up and became the devil. So we can't blame God for creating the devil and putting him down there in the serpent and causing him to... Uh, tempt the woman see God is not the author of sin we read that in many places and explicitly in one or two God did not create the devil as the devil well what about this other character Adam who is plays the major role actually the the key role if you will in in the fall here in the garden well just rest assured that God being him in whom there is no darkness at all, did not create Adam to fall. That was not God's purpose in creating Adam. There are those of our Calvinist friends that will tell us that God created Adam for the express purpose that he would eat of the fruit of the tree so that he could fall and so that God could then work all things together for good for our sake. <laughs> We're going to deal with that verse in a minute too. But I'll tell you, beloved, not only does that not fit with the, the account, it doesn't fit with the rest of Scripture either. So look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17. You remember verses 15 and 16 are where God put Adam in the garden and he commanded him to say, man, you can eat of all these trees, every tree in the garden. Now, I know I always say this when we get to this point, but you need to remember this. The devil always twists God's word. Always. Remember what he told Eve? He didn't say, Eve, did, did God say that you could eat of every tree of the garden freely? Just not this one? That's not what he said. You remember what he said? Hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. That's not what God said. God said, you shall eat of every tree except this one. See, that, that's a difference. Look, if it's not a difference, you say, well, it's not a difference in substance. Well, if it's not, it's a difference in mindset. It's a different in a way of looking at God, isn't it? Oh, this, this mean old restrictive God over here that's keeping me from something good. Or this gracious, loving God that's given me everything except something that might hurt me. <laughs> Think about that. Isn't that a different way of looking at God? Well, anyway, God did said you can eat of every tree. And then in verse 17, but the one exception of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now something interesting here, this, and it's an implication, I get that, but it does imply a couple of things here, okay? It first implies a free choice, right? He says, Adam, he didn't say, uh, he didn't say Adam, I've set you up on a robotic path like a, like a little small-scale train, and you can only go on these tracks and no further. 
He didn't say, Adam, you're a puppet and I'm your puppeteer and I'm going to make you walk where I want you to walk and, and, and eventually you'll walk over here and eat of this fruit. <laughs> no, he said, Adam, you're free. You're free. He didn't just say, Adam, uh, uh, you know, you can eat. He didn't just say you can eat of every tree. He said you can freely eat of every tree. Adam had freedom. Adam had true free will. Adam had the ability to choose to serve God and to please God or to choose to violate the commandment of God. He's the only person in the history of the world that from his creation, from the moment he breathed in his first breath, he had the ability to, to truly exercise free will. Adam had the ability to choose. And the other thing this states in this verse are the consequences for choosing wrongly. And that's the thing we need to remember. And that's one thing that so many people in the world today who don't understand that salvation is by grace alone, by the sovereign grace of God, they don't understand it because they don't understand what being spiritually dead means. He said, in the day you eat of this fruit, Adam, you will surely die. And in fact, I like the way the King James actually puts it, thou shalt surely die. One of the things I love about our Bible, especially this King James translation here, is that there's a little closure in it. There's, there's another place I read the word shall. It's in Matthew 121 where he says, not a, you know, here he says, thou shalt surely die. But in Matthew 1, 1 and 21, he says, he shall save his people from their sins. Praise God for that shall as well, especially for that shall. But here's what he said, in the day you eat, you will surely die. So what happened when Adam sinned? Well, not to, so as we don't drag this out, uh, let me just make it as plain as God made it. He died. <laughs> He died. Now you say, did he die physically? Well, you know he didn't die that very day, right? He didn't die that very day physically. Uh, but what happened was the process of physical death began. That's what began. And, and do you realize that physical death occurred for the first time on that day? Over in the end of chapter 3 of Genesis, when God, you know, God didn't let him stay a few more nights in the garden till the verdict came in of what God was going to do. That very day, he said, uh, he said, behold, verse 22, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. That very day. He was banished from the presence of God. In, in the garden, he was in the very literal, physical presence of God. We saw that this morning. He could walk with him. He could talk with him. He could go around in the cool of the day with God. And in that very day, he was banished out. And notice that he drove him out. And, and, and what, what we find is that God, in verse 21, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. The first death, physical death, occurred 
on the day Adam sinned. Death had not been a part of this whole scheme. They got, as I said this morning, Adam didn't, the first thing Adam did in the garden wasn't start setting traps for rabbits or, or go try to shoot him a squirrel or try to go deer hunting or something like that. Adam had fruit to eat. All, of, all that Adam did with the animals was love them and live with them and be able to, I, I'm sure he could go up and pat the lions. He could lay down and take a nap with the tigers. Uh, he could do all these great things. You know, back then, he wasn't. He, <laughs> women weren't even afraid of snakes back then. <laughs> they were beautiful back then. You know, and, and I, and I mean, not blaming just you women. I'm not a friend of snakes myself. As I've shown many of you the picture of the rattlesnake that I killed recently, I didn't look at that rattlesnake. When I was walking that day, uh, the snake was at least as far as from here to the back door from me, and my heart did not leap in joy and say, oh, a snake. My heart leaped with something else and I started getting on the phone and getting Sherry to bring me my gun because I didn't have anything else to kill it with you see but back then when you saw a serpent you'd have probably run up to it and hugged it it would have been great to see it because it was the most subtle of all the creatures everything was beautiful in that day everything was what very good <laughs> very good but when Adam fell death came so let's, let's just, let's, let's put it in scriptural terms, okay? In Romans chapter 5, listen to this. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, very familiar verse to most of you. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Hmm. Isn't that something? Sin, what do we say that is? That's moral evil. Evil, moral evil entered into the world. How? Through Adam. Not by God, but by Adam who was tempted by the devil. Okay? Now, back over and keep your finger in Romans because we're going to go back there. Back over in Genesis chapter 3, what about, what about natural evil, Brother Chris? What, what about these calamities that you've been telling us about? In the, in the uh, third chapter of Genesis, listen to what God said to Adam in verse 17. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art. And unto dust shalt thou return. Have you ever thought about the decomposition process that occurs at death? It's kind of strange, isn't it? It's kind of, it's kind of, kind of weird if you really think about it. Why is it that when something dies, and I'm not just talking about people, I'm talking about things you see on the road, that, that there's a decomposition process and it, and it turns ugly and rancid and, and there's a stench and there's, there's a, a, ultimately it disappears. It's kind of, kind of funny, really, when you think about it, isn't it? You know, you know what God said? He said, it's because that body came from the dust. 
and that body's going back to the dust. And you know why that body is going back to the dust? Because Adam hearkened to his wife, who hearkened to the serpent, and he ate of that fruit. You see, it's on Adam that these, it says, cursed is the ground. You know, once a body dies, and once a person dies, the body is just a piece of, of material. It's, it's no longer, you know, we don't, we don't believe, some of the old other religions believe there's something still to that body, but we don't believe when we take, bring someone in here in a casket and have their, have their uh, burial ceremony, we don't believe they're really there. It's just, it, I, I'll never forget, and this is not to get too, uh, <laughs> too gross about it, I went to, went to a funeral today. Uh, where uh, uh, my cousin, Alfred Banks, wanted to be buried in a pine box. He didn't want a metal casket. He said, I want to be buried in a pine box. My granddaddy, mama's daddy, he, he didn't even want a vault. And back then, they didn't require it at that cemetery over there. He said, I want a pine box. I want a wooden casket. He said, he said as far as I'm concerned, on the day I die, if it wasn't for my family, you could just toss me over in the ditch like an old dog or something because, because I'm not there. He said, I don't care. He said, I really, and, and you think about it, he had a point, didn't he? He had a point. Now, I know we wouldn't want to treat someone's body like that. Uh, I know what we, you know, but you know, the burial's for us. The funeral's for us. It's not for them. It doesn't matter. It, it does not matter that thousands of people were disintegrated in the, two, in the Twin Towers uh, on 9-11. As far as they were concerned, it does not matter to the child of God what happens to his body. I, I'm not preaching that we ought to treat the body in a disrespectful way. And I please understand, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. But my point about that is, is that when we die, when the soul leaves the body, the body just becomes another piece of this old sin cursed earth. And that's why it decomposes. That's why it, it goes away in the way that I was describing earlier because it is cursed. It's part of the ground and it's going back to the ground. Why do we have natural evil? Because now this earth is cursed by the sin of Adam. That's how evil came into this world. You know... Just as a little bit of an aside here, isn't it amazing that God knows exactly what to call things? He called that tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He didn't call it the tree of the power of good and evil, did he? He said it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, in the day man ate of that fruit, he gained knowledge of good and evil. That's why we know good from bad today, because we, we understand we, that knowledge has been passed down to us, so to speak. But the problem is, he lost the ability to choose the good over the evil. Now, that doesn't mean that a reprobate, an unregenerated person can't do some good things, but here's the problem, he can't do anything that pleases God. You know why? Because he's dead spiritually. Anytime one who's dead spiritually does something that on the outside appears to be good, uh, he's not doing it for the right reasons. And Jesus came down and he set the record straight with those Pharisees. They believed that abiding by the letter of the law was the way to get to heaven. As long as you don't do this and you don't do that outwardly, you're going to be fine. But, uh, you know, he said, if you, as long as you don't actually commit adultery, you're not an adulterer. Jesus said it's not a 
about the outward actions. It's about the inward thoughts of the heart. He said, if you've looked on a woman to lust after her in your heart, you have already committed adultery, and adultery is a sin worthy of death. If you've been angry with your brother without a cause, he said, then if just you didn't kill him, say, Jesus, I didn't kill my brother, but you wanted to, and that's enough in the sight of God to be sin. And you understand that not one sin can get by without being paid for. Either the sinner is going to pay on it for eternity, or Jesus paid for it at the cross. <clears throat> Man gained the knowledge of good. and what, what does it mean, though, to be dead in trespasses and in sins? Well, Ephesians talks about that. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, you know the verses very well, I'm sure. In the first verse of Ephesians 2, you hath he quickened, in other words, you have been made alive, but you were something else. What were you? You were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, you were physically alive. You were walking around, breathing, eating, expending energy. You were talking. You were thinking. You were physically alive, but you were spiritually dead. You know why you were spiritually dead? Oh, well, God just made me that way. No, Adam made you that way. <laughs> Adam made you that way in the garden, and you are Adam. You know what it says that Adam did? Adam begat uh, a son in his likeness. <laughs> and after his, you know what Brother Rich used to say? We're Adam multiplied, Brother Mackey. We're Adam multiplied. If you think Adam was bad, we're ten times worse or a million times worse. It's not getting better and better. We're getting worse and worse, you see. He says, you were dead in trespasses and sins. What does that mean? Well, in time past, you walked according to the course of this world. This world is not your friend. This world is everything that's in the world, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the, of, of the flesh and the pride of life is not of God. But that's how you walked when you were dead in trespasses and in sins. That's how I walked. According to the prince of the power of the air. And I reckon who that is. Prince of the power of the air? It, that's some physical being. It's the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You know who that sounds a lot like? Sounds a lot like Satan, doesn't it? That's exactly who the prince of the power of the air is. Among whom also we all had our conversation or lifestyle. That word conversation means more than just our speech, although our speech really does reflect our lifestyle, doesn't it? among whom we all had our conversation in time past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Many today will tell us that we have to exercise the mind to make a choice to become spiritual. Well, beloved, in what I read here is that when we're dead spiritually, we are exercising the choices of the mind, but they are the lusts of the flesh and the desires of the flesh and of the mind. That's where we were spiritually. 1 Corinthians 2.14 tells us that the natural man, the one who's not been born again, receives not the things of the Spirit of God. I don't know about you, but I believe the gospel message is one of the greatest things of the Spirit of God that there's ever been. The gospel message, the truth of salvation by grace, that's, 
That gospel message is, of the, is a thing of the Spirit of God. It's not something made up by man, is it? It's, it's a thing of the Spirit of God. But guess what? The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. That includes the gospel message. For they, why? For they are foolishness unto him. Doesn't that explain why so many reject the gospel out there? So many that are even children of God that are walking in the flesh. <laughs> But those that aren't children of God or those that haven't been born again, they, they say, that's a bunch of foolishness. For they are foolishness unto them, neither can he know them. Neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. That implies, the first implies an exercise of the will, but the other implies the inability to exercise the will, doesn't it? He can't know them. Why? Because he's dead in trespasses and in sins, and these things are spiritually discerned. Well, can't I, what, 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 what part does my, my will play? This morning I said, hey, we still got free will. We're free to walk and exercise our will according to our nature, right? We read about in John chapter 5 and verse 40 about some people that did that. He looked at those Pharisees and he said, ye will not come unto me that you might have eternal life. Some say that's an invitation. Beloved, that's not an invitation. That's an indictment. That's an indictment of the will of man in the flesh, the will of man without God, the will of man in the natural state before he's been born again. And then he tells us in John 6, 44, no man can come unto me except, praise God, Brother Mackey, for the except, Except the Father which has sent me draw him. Did you know that no man can, not only will you not come to him, you cannot come to him. See, that's what it means to be spiritually dead. That's what happened when Adam fell. When Adam exercised his free will to do that which God said don't do, God imposed then the consequence on him that he promised that he would impose, and that is death. In the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. I believe in the day he ate thereof, he did die. Now there was another, there was another message preached on that same day, or not long thereafter, I should say. That, that message was, thou shalt not surely die. And that's found preached by the serpent. You know, there's only ever been two messages preached throughout the history of time. In every religion, wherever it may be, every philosophy, no matter what it is, it's either thou shalt surely die, and he did in Adam, or thou shalt not surely die. Beloved, I'm going to go with the one God preached. I'm going to go with the one that God told Adam. So, inner evil. We'll not turn there and read it, but read the 7th and 8th chapters of Romans sometime. Eighth chapter particularly there, he says, The whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Why is this whole world seemingly groaning? It seems like things are stepping up, doesn't it? We've had the biggest hurricane season we've ever had. They got, they got so far through the tropical storms and hurricanes that they had to start over. You know, they name them A to Z, and now they had to start over, and they just went to the Greek alphabet, alpha, uh, alpha, beta, gamma, delta. You know, they just started going through the Greek alphabet. Isn't that something that this is one? I don't remember that happening. You're seeing all kinds of 
uh, famines and earthquakes. But you know what's happening? This old world is winding down. This old world is not revving up. <laughs> the world is not getting better and better. Okay, so I hope we've established, and, I, and I'm not done yet. I'm just about done. I'm not done yet. I hope we've established that evil, both moral and natural evil, sin and the calamities we see in this world, did not come from God. They came from the devil and man. That's where they came from. So God is not the author of sin. He's not the author or creator of evil. Or is he? <laughs> well, you know the verse I'm talking about, don't you? Turn with me over to Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 7. And we'll just go ahead and get that one out of the way. There, because in the last the time we have left, I want to deal with about three problems that we have that I believe the Scripture resolves. But I want, us to, I want us to look at them so you'll know how to answer these questions. Now listen to Isaiah 45 and verse 7. Remember, we've just said God did not create evil, right? Listen to this. I am the Lord. I'm sorry, verse 7. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. So what's he talking about here? Wait a minute. We just said he didn't create evil. What's he talking about? Well, let me, let me remind you of the overriding principle of the study of God's Word. Context is everything. Context, context, context. Always look and see what he's talking about in the context. Because you see here, uh, the word there is the same word, but that word that's translated evil throughout the King James Bible, uh, it's mostly always the same Hebrew word, but it not only can refer to moral evil, which is sin, it can refer to natural evil, which are the calamities of this world. And we've already said some things about that that we'll, we'll repeat in a minute. So look at the context here, and, and, and I don't, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. I encourage you to read this whole section, not just chapter 45. But notice the beginning, we'll just begin reading in verse 1. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus. Boy, that's a message right there. This is, this is a man who's not alive yet. This is a man who's coming on the scene some 140, I believe, years from now. And Isaiah's already talking about him. Isn't that amazing how God is able to give this kind of stuff to his, this kind of pre-knowledge to his people he said i'm saying this he said thus saith the lord to his anointed to cyrus whose right hand i have holden to subdue nations before him i will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two-leaved gates and the gates shall not be shut i will go before thee and make the crooked places straight i will break in pieces the gates of breath notice what all god is doing to for cyrus and he's he's talking about a time when he's going to restore israel back to the, to the nation and the place, the geographical nation where they are now. He says in verse 4, For Jacob my servant's sake, and Israel mine elect, I have called thee by thy name. He's, now why is it though? Okay, so Cyrus, some 140 years from now, so sometime over a century in the future, Cyrus is going to have to restore Israel. Israel's not been taken captive. Israel's right with Judah. You know, there's a northern kingdom called Ephraim or Israel, and there's a southern kingdom called Judah. They're right where they've always been. What is he talking about? He's saying, Cyrus, you're going to have to come restore them. And I can see these, these Israelites scratching their heads saying, I, I, we're not gone. What's, what's the deal? Here's the problem. Here's the problem. God is talking about the punishment 
that he is going to bring upon his people for their wickedness, their uh, backsliding. All, that, that's mostly what the book of Isaiah is about. It's talking about the, the wickedness of his own people now. We're not talking about the reprobate heathen out there. We're talking about the people of God. And he, and he begins to tell them in verse 5, you need to remember who I am. I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. You remember how he started this whole book of Isaiah? He said, the ox knoweth his master and the ass his master's crib, but my people does not know. They don't know. The dumb animals of the world know where they belong, but my own people have forgotten who their owner is. And he said that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. He goes on to say, Drop down, ye heavens, from above. Let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open and let them bring forth salvation and let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. Now look what the problem is. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashioneth, fashioneth it, What makest thou? Or thy work, he hath no hands. Woe to him that saith to his father, What begettest thou? Or to the woman, What hast thou brought forth? In other words, he's talking to a people that are being rebellious. He's talking to a people in the context of judgment. And what we've said earlier today, there are times when God has used the calamities of this world to judge his people, to chasten his people. That's what he's talking about here. He doesn't mean I created Adam to have him come in here into the garden and sin. He didn't, he didn't mean by this, I'm the author of sin. He doesn't even mean that I'm the reason all these calamities are on this earth, all this natural evil. No, it's here. It's here because of Adam. And in the sense of this rewarding of evil and blessing of good, he says, I'm, I'm going to use some of these things. Some of this stuff's coming from me. Now, there's a reason today we can't look down to New Orleans, for example, and say, uh, oh, well, Katrina was a judgment on New Orleans. We don't know that. We don't know that. If God tells me that, I'll tell you, but he hasn't told me that, okay? <laughs> That's how we knew these, judgments were, judge, these things were judgments on the people of God because God told us in his word. But here's my point. is that the point, the, When he says, I create evil, that doesn't mean he's causing all these things to happen. It doesn't mean he's the origin of it. That is not what that's talking about. Okay, second, second verse, problem, problem verse. Not, not a problem for God and not a problem in, 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 the, in the Bible, but a problem for us sometimes. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Oh, so you mean that Adam sinning in the garden worked for my good? No, I'll tell you emphatically, Adam sinning in the garden worked against the law of God. It worked against God's will, and it works against your good. It's the very reason you have problems in life. The sin you commit, oh, God will take it and work it for good. I, I'll never forget, I was, more than once, but one I remember in particular, I was standing there at the judge's bench in Fayette, and a, a gentleman beside me in shackles pleading guilty to go to prison for 20 or 25 years, and he said, I know I'm here for a reason. 
And I didn't take the opportunity, Brother Buddy. I should have. I started to look at him and say, yeah, you're here for a reason because of the stupid choices you've made in your life. That's the reason, okay? It wasn't because God put him there, you see. It wasn't because God made that to happen. God didn't cause all these things. He says all things work together for good. Are you telling me that, uh, that, that all of the sin in this world works with the righteousness of God? Are you telling me that in your own life, think about your own life and the strife you have in your body between your old nature and your new nature. They're working together. Mine are not working together, beloved. My old man is working against my new man. They're not striving together. They're striving against each other. He tells us, Paul tells us about a warfare inside. When you see two sides go to war, they're not working together, are they? <laughs> You have some allies maybe over here that are doing some things together. But, you know, the allies and the Axis in World War II weren't working together. Thousands upon thousands of young men and women died because they were working against each other. Well, I won't keep going down that road. I'll just say this. Remember what I said? Context is everything. And one of the things you always have to remember when you see a verse of, of the Scriptures pulled out of context, and we see this so often with this verse and many others, put up on a placard somewhere or on a billboard somewhere or, or put on a, uh, on a bumper sticker somewhere. The Romans 8 and 28. You know what? I, I want to see a bumper sticker one day that says Romans 8 and 29. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that one. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate. Okay, there's one thing working. Them he also uh, justified. Whom he justified, them he also glorified. I left one out. Whom, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called them he also justified whom he justified them he also glorified those things work together now beloved now you've got the context now you understand what he's saying God is not creating evil and sending it down here he's not creating cancer and sending it into your body to make you better somehow uh, beloved the reason you get cancer the reason I get Parkinson's or diabetes or whatever it may be is because of the genetic makeup that Adam bequeathed unto me I am Adam multiplied, you see. All these things happen because of sometimes the dumb choices I made. But it's not working for my good. Praise God, though, he's overruling it for my good. What is working for my good, Brother Mackey, is that no matter how I mess it up here, no matter how bad things get here, he is foreknown and predestinated and called and justified and will one day glorify me. That's what that context is. Last thing, <clears throat> one of the things that will be raised, and I'll try to make this quick, one of the things that's often raised is that, well, I look around me, preacher, and it looks like people are getting away with doing bad things. Evil often goes unpunished on earth. How could God put up with that? How could God put up with that? I had a, I was talking with, one of our dist old district judges up in Lamar County who served many years, he's retired now, Judge Gosa. He and I were talking one day, and he said a lady asked him one time, said, Judge, how can you stand, how can you stand it when the guilty uh, go free? And that's happened to me. I, you know, I, as you know, I made a living for many years trying to punish the wicked, punish the guilty. And I had several times, one in particular that I'll never forget, it always haunts me, of a case I lost at jury trial 
that I'm certain the man was guilty, but the 12 jurors set him free. How can you stand that? How can you stand it? Looks to me like God needs to come down here and set it straight. That's the way people think. Sometimes that's the way I think. Even Job doesn't really answer the question. Because, you know, the latter end of Job was better than his first, the first, you know, part of his life. But he still lost all those children. How can you, how can you say, oh, well, I've had another one now, and he'll, he'll replace the ones I lost. It doesn't work that way. It seems like there was a lot of injustice in Job's life as far as the scales balancing. Well, here's what we need to remember, beloved. Our lives are not bookended by birth on the one hand and death on the other. You see, justice doesn't start to add up when we're born and the final tally comes down on the day we die. Too many people believe that, but that's not the way it works. There are, there are evils, there, are, there is wickedness that goes unpunished in this life. But see, God doesn't work that way at all. God is not limited by the bookends of birth and death. Praise God for that. Do you understand that there's coming a day? And Revelation describes it as, as well as anywhere in the Scripture you can find it. Chapter 20. When there is a great white throne. In verse... Um, boy, it's hard to... <clears throat> Let's just say this. Let's just, let's just encourage you to read that chapter sometime. And, and I'll say this, that there's a point in that chapter where the devil is loosed upon the earth. It appears uh, that he is wreaking havoc. And, and in verse 9, the, the, the minions of Satan, the, the armies of Satan went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. Oh, what a... What a terrible thing it is. Don't we, don't we see so many of God's saintly people out there, those that we know in our hearts are children of God and are trying to live godly in this present evil world. And it seems they're beset on all sides by problems, by sicknesses, by disasters, by tragedies, by, by issues within their family, problems at their work. There, there are some, even in this day and age, who are dying martyrs' deaths. Doesn't seem right. That Stephen just told the truth and they stoned him to death. What a horrible way to die. Next to crucifixion, I would think that'd be the most awful way to die. Probably some of his friends and neighbors were in that crowd casting those stones at him and those blunt stones uh, hitting him in the face and the head and the body and breaking his bones. It wasn't a quick death. It wasn't like the guillotine where it's just one split second and then, then you're gone. It was a slow and a painful death, just like crucifixion. It doesn't seem right that he had to go through that. But you know what happened with Stephen? Stephen's life did not end with death. He was laying there. He was being put upon. He was being gnashed upon with their teeth. He was being, having stones cast at him. And in joy he looked up into heaven and God opened up the heavens and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father on high. And you know what that tells me? That that terrible unjust act that Paul the Apostle, who wasn't Paul the Apostle at the time, participated in was not the bookend of his life. 
See, if you add it up from birth to death, a lot of times it don't work out. A lot of times it doesn't work out. But there's coming a the devil, it says, and his minions were compassing about the, the beloved city. But notice what happened in fire. <laughs> came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. That's the shortest battle in the history of the world, isn't it? Uh, they, were gonna, they were gathering up all their forces. They're going there to take the beloved city and just boom, like that. God poured out the fire from heaven. And the devil that deceived them, boy, doesn't he deserve to be, doesn't he deserve to be cast down? Listen, it's coming one day. The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. I want to tell you, beloved, I've seen some things in my career. I've read about some things. And, and since I've been on the bench down in Montgomery, I've seen situations that would raise the hair on the back of your necks because it does it on mine. It's horrible situations of child abuse, child murder. There are things that are occurring in this world that deserve to be punished. And, he, and certainly the person that did them deserves to be punished. But but oh, that devil deserves it even more because he's the one behind it. One day, he's going to be tormented forever and ever in the lake of fire. Praise God for that day. You know, the wrath of God is as praiseworthy as the mercy of God. Because God is going to set things right one day. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. They couldn't hide anywhere. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. You see, every single wicked act is going to be set right one day. Now, let me, let me just sort of bring this to a close. By saying this, I recognize that what I preach to you this morning and this evening does not, you know, it's not going to satisfy the philosophers of this world. They're still going to have these arguments about the, the non-existence of God. But what I want you and I to be able to do, maybe they still will take, the, take us to task for some of these things, but at least let's get it right on our part. Let's be sure we present to them the real God, the true God, not some, not some figment of their imagination. Let's not let them direct the narrative. Let's, let's make sure we know who our God is and how he deals with evil. Because you see, what he does, God is at odds with evil in every way that God can be at odds with evil. God is the enemy of sin which may terrify us because we understand that we're sinners but praise God even as he is the great enemy of sin he is the great friend of sinners oh that's our God that's our God God suffers evil he doesn't create it he doesn't cause it he suffers it he often avenges it here we see that happen from time to time but ultimately he will eliminate it. Because John says in chapter 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
every good thing that you can think about the Garden of Eden will be encompassed in this new city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven and more and more. There won't be a tree of the knowledge of good and evil there. There'll only be the tree of life. And he he says, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Have you wept over the things that you see around you in this life? Have you been frustrated by the injustices that you have experienced or that you've seen around you in this world? Have you been terrified and anxious about the uncertainty of this world? Listen to me, beloved. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. See, that's our God. He doesn't tolerate sin. He doesn't work with sin. He didn't create sin. One day he will judge sin. And praise God for every single one of his children, he has judged sin in the person and work of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day for those children, God will wipe away their tears. He will clean up all this mess. He will set all things right. And He will come back to get it. You know that decaying body we talked about? Don't be grossed out by that. Don't be worried about it. Wherever that body is, if it's a child of God, one day that old decaying body is going to be brought back together. And it's not going to be the same old body. It's going to be a glorified body. I was, I was laughing today. We had a little laugh out in the cemetery at the funeral uh, uh, with my uncle. Uh, we're talking about the vaults that were, are out here that we require to be put in our cemetery even today. And there was a time, you know, when they first started selling those that people didn't want them. People were scared of them. You know why? They said, you know, I don't want to be left behind on the resurrection morning. I'm afraid I won't be able to get out of the vault. I'll tell you, beloved, it's not going to be a vault can hold you here. There's not going to be a grave can keep you down. I don't care if you're buried in the depths of the deepest parts of the ocean in the Marianas Trench. You may have, this child of God may have been one who passed away on an ocean voyage hundreds of years ago and their body cast into the sea and, and, and it may be down there somewhere, beloved. The Lord knows where it is and he's going to bring it back out because he's going to set all things right. Praise God. Thank you for your kind attention tonight. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.